CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hello and welcome to the 2022 season of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast brought to you by the Herd at Sports Network. I'm Drew, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ben. Thanks, Drew. Each episode, we will sample craft beers, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, Ben and I will sample beer from Lincoln, Nebraska's Code Beer Co., react to the Iowa game, recount our journey through beer this season, and reflect on the Huskers' 2022 campaign. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. Sharp-eared listeners might be questioning right out of the gate, <laughs> man, what is wrong with those two? Do they, do they get sick together? Do they both have colds, RSV, what's going on? No, we have lost our voices, and we are working our way back for all of you. We were at the Iowa game. Yeah, Some of you might have lived the greatest moment in our lives as Husker fans and seen <laughs> us on TV hoisting the trophy, and we'll get into more of all of that, but yeah. please bear with us for the next what is going to be like five hours of content, we've got it feels a lot like. Of, yeah, we got a lot to talk about, and I don't have, <laughs> I don't have enough of a voice for it, but if, it if, was worth it. Oh, man, if we haven't been self-conscious about hearing our voices before, <laughs> this is sure right. going to take it to the next level. Well, Drew, not only do we get off the high of a Friday win uh, on Black Friday against Iowa, but we then wake up to some news that we have been greatly appreciate, or excuse me, greatly awaiting mm-hmm. and appreciative of to hear, at least yeah. on my end. Uh, Nebraska hired their 31st full-time head coach in Matt Rule. Just shooting from the hip, talking from the gut, what are some of your first thoughts that come to mind when it comes to Matt Rule and what this could mean for the program? I know that when this comes out, they will have had the press conference. Right. We know that you know the the report is that he's getting $9 million a year over eight years. That might be more specified with bonuses, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty on that stuff. Yeah. Just want to hear from one Husker fan talking to another Husker fan. How do you feel about this? Um, I really like the hire. Um, And I think that uh, after we see the press conference um, and people really get their first impression of Matt Rule, if they haven't already kind of started digging up stuff on the Internet um, from from him from the past, I think you're going to see a guy that 
um, is very well poised and well spoken. Um, he he's a guy that knows what he wants to do. He has he has a plan wherever he goes, um, and I think he's going to use a lot of um, buzzwords that Nebraska fans are going to be looking for in, in terms of of you know development, um, building guys in the trenches, um, playing a style of ball that is suited to the talent that he has on his roster, rather than you know having a system. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's going to be a long episode. So I got I yeah. Um, but he's he's not the type of guy that that um, has a system that he's that he's beholden to. Um, he ran a very different offense and a different defense at Temple than he did at Baylor, and he found success in both places. So, um, yeah, I like the hire. I like the hire because of of what he provides for Nebraska, and I think what Nebraska needed to get with this hire. Um, it's a big enough name. Um, hopefully, it brings some stability, but also it's a guy that's going to be able to build the pro- program back. Um, to to a point that I think we can start to enjoy. Yeah, I I think we're gonna we're gonna enjoy Matt Rule's double D's, and that's defense and development, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like those are two things that he really excels at. He's a defensive minded coach. He's a developmental minded coach. He's a guy that's gonna go hard on the kids in practice. He's gonna give them everything they can handle in practice. And then in some of his quotes, he says, you know, on game day, they're all my superheroes, right? Yeah. I'm there to elevate them and lift them up because we've done that preparation and it it feels like it's been empty talk coming from the last full-time head coach in Scott Frost saying, you know, we're going to practice hard so that the game day is easy. And you got this sense hearing that over and over and over that it's like, do they really know what that means? Is that really what's going on and taking place? Matt Rule has this body of work that shows that's what's going on. And if you even watch him on the sidelines when he's coaching players, he says, I don't yell at my guys. I don't get down on my guys. And you can see him like, doing the give me your eye contact thing and trying to elevate guys after bad plays and encouraging guys and that sort of thing. And it's the right kind of sideline energy. It's something that Mickey brought to the table as well as the interim coach where he's trying to elevate and keep the energy high for his guys. And he brings that on a Saturday. Um, I'm excited for this, man. When you look at his resume, the big detractor that people are going to throw at you is his top 25 wins. Yeah. Like that, that feels like the easy, Oh, he can't win against top 25 opponents. And it's like, well, He's had three seasons at Baylor, four seasons at Temple. How often at Temple was he facing that top 25 opponent? Not very often. Mm-hmm. When he did, he got those wins. And Baylor's a, a new a new type of top 25 when you're playing in the Big 12 versus uh, playing in, in, in the, you know, the group of five. So yeah. I, I'm not too concerned. I think if he had had more time at Baylor, he was going to have more wins against top 25 he opponents. He had more opportunities, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the other the other thing that um, I think is going to give some people some hesitancy is um, he's never really stuck around one place for too long. Um, that the eight year contract you'd like to think that that provides some stability or some like long term, um, I guess relief in that in that if that is a concern for you, I will say that I think when he got hired on at Baylor, he signed a seven year contract initially, so he obviously didn't stick that one out. Um, so the eight years doesn't guarantee that he'll be here for eight years, obviously. Um, but I think at least from an optics perspective, it says that Nebraska is committed to him and he's committed to Nebraska. Um, well, and I, it, I would ask this to, to push back on that. If he leaves after three or four years, that would mean that some pretty damn good shit's been happening. Sorry, chooses, Kathy. Yeah. That, that feels <laughs> yeah. like, oh, man, he's building upon like he's not going to leave Nebraska for, you know, a group of five job. He might make a lateral move to another power five job if you know, he played at Penn State. Who knows right. if that would be like a dream job for him, something like that. But in order for a Penn State to want him, especially with the recent success they've had with James Franklin, that would mean 
that he's had success at Nebraska and he's a proven winner in the Big Ten. Yeah. And making that move to a Big Ten East school. Yeah. If he's out of here in three years of his own accord to move up or to move over, um, it's because he did another job flipping a flipping a program. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that I guess yeah, that's a good way to look at that. Um, it's the only way I can yeah. right now. Right? Like, yeah, it is I, a detractor on his on his resume is that he doesn't hang out super long. But you know, then again, neither did Scott Frost. Yeah, and, and we a, were excited to bring him in. This guy just doesn't happen to have those Nebraska ties, so yeah. some people are quick to say, "Well, that's bad for him," but it's good on you know. Right? Yeah, yeah. They don't. Yeah, you don't look at it as like, "Oh, this dude is just rising through the ranks at a very quick pace," um, and that happens a lot. Like yeah. that's just that's a that's just part of the profession. Um, I understand where, like, where there is hesitancy, though, you know, and, and I think it's fine for people to um, to not be 100% bought in. Sure. You know, to have reservations or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't agree with people who are actively, like, detracting from the hire um, or, you know, trying to, trying to tear it down without, you know, giving it some chance or benefit of the doubt. So, um, but I think that there's a good, you can strike a good middle road there and say, like, yeah, like, this is a great hire. But we also want to see, you know, what what can really happen here. What you know, what he can do once he's here. And, um, I think so. it's it's also um, it would be a miss for us to not. I, I know they're not going to listen. I know that those ears aren't coming to our podcast. But to thank the current staff or the interim staff that did an incredible job of keeping this team engaged. Oh yeah, keeping them energized. Mickey Joseph's work throughout this entire season cannot go unnoticed. I know that there's Husker fans around the world who want Mickey Joseph to stay at Nebraska because of what he brings as a wide receivers coach, a recruiting coach, and as a mentor to these young players. I would throw Bill Bush into that conversation as well. For sure. um, Especially after what we saw from Bill Bush on Friday, being so close to (laughs) the action. But with, with Mickey and Bill and all these coaches who've given their all, at the same time, for me, I want what's best for them because they sacrificed a lot this year to hang around when they could have started shopping around. These are qualified guys. These are guys who could work in, in any division, higher or lower than the Big Ten, and find yeah. success and longevity, plant their roots. And they stuck around for Nebraska, and it culminated in a season-ending victory where not only did we get the win, but we also got to ruin Iowa's season as well. <laughs> and, and if that doesn't just bring you the ultimate joy, uh, I'm just so grateful uh, for what that entire coaching staff did that was led by Mickey Joseph. Um you know, whatever Matt Rule decides when it comes to keeping Mickey or letting Mickey find another opportunity, um, we're going to have that special time and, and, and be able to look back on Mickey and say, like, this was the guy from Nebraska who put us in a better situation than we were in when he took the job yeah. and when he left it, whenever that happens to be. And for that, I can't be more grateful. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I mean, I'm right in step with you there. Um, like you said, like, this whole thing really could have fallen apart. Um, and it was, you know, he didn't get the results that they wanted in a lot of games. Um but I, I think that, that this season, you know, after the first few games, you could kind of tell, like, it wasn't going to – that wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to get the wins that they wanted. And so, um, so yeah, at that point, the, the success um, that Mickey could have and did bring was, was just in keeping the guys together and, and keeping the, the players and the program moving in that one direction together. Um, and so – and it did. I'm so happy. I'm happy for the, for the coaches and the players. Um, for it culminating in that victory at Iowa. Cause that was, I mean, that was, uh, that was a big win. Like even though yeah. it didn't really, it didn't really mean anything ultimately. Um, I think it meant a lot to, um, a lot of those people that were there day in and day out and that stuck through. Um, and so, and yeah, and just, and obviously being there, you know, watching it, it obviously meant a lot to us as fans. Cause I, you know, oh, we're yeah. sitting there yelling our heads off. 
um, to a point where, you know, we sacrificed. We laid it all out there. We left our voices hey, you on know the what? field. <laughs> we, we did literally nothing yeah. on the field. We did nothing that impacted the game, but we did everything in our hearts yeah. to, to give as much encouragement as we could. Man, I don't yeah. Yeah. I don't regret losing my voice for a second. Oh, I don't not regret. My, my body is sore. I don't know about you, but, like, I was slamming the pads in front of our seats yeah. uh, on the sidelines so hard that my entire right shoulder feels worse <laughs> than Spencer Petrus's. Like, I... I can't lift my arm right now, which tells me like how out of shape, how (laughs) just how, how terrible, like my body is falling apart. Like I've, I've, I've created children. I've procreated. So the purpose of my life is now over with my body's just like, let's check out. It's done. There's no extracurricular activity that this guy should be doing because like, it's just like wasting away already at, at 34 years old. Good Lord. Oh man. That's right. I walked away with bruises on both my knees. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, from, what's, that's just from leaning against concrete, a concrete so, wall. Um, some, some family members were like, how did you get those tickets? And I was like, well, I bought them uh, and they're like, okay. And then I go, but man, I can't tell you how, how bad the bruises are on my knees. And then like, are you sure that's how you got the tickets? I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. The, the railings were about knee height and they're bruised. I'll show. And they're like, giving me a, a oh that's on good that. yeah they got me on that one. Oh man the the last thing i want to bring up about the matt rule hire um uh-huh. is my my goal for this team and i, I kind of thought long and hard and i know there's going to be a lot of people talking about like get to a bowl game how many wins in that first season like what what's going to be the expectation for matt rule uh and and what's going to be the ultimate outcome and i think the way that our schedule sets up Next year, uh, we start with Minnesota, who's been a team that we have struggled with the past few years. P.J. Fleck knows how to scheme against Nebraska. They're going to be missing some of their key players from this season, but they also reload really well there, and their strength and conditioning is really great. Their offensive line is always a challenge. Their defensive line is always a challenge. So we open with Minnesota, and I think we're going to learn a lot about how has this team grown in the offseason by that first game. I don't want to make a, a wins and loss prediction or anything like that because it's That's way too early for something like that. <laughs> a bit early. But what I do want to say is I want a team led by a guy where I don't feel like I've got to trade wins. And what I mean by that is when we lost to Wisconsin this year, I thought, well, we now have a chance against Iowa because it felt like we had to trade these wins one over the other. Where I want this season or next season or moving forward under Matt Rule to be a building block. Like this win is now a building block to go in and get the next one. And we got over this hurdle, so now it's this. Whereas this season felt like, okay, we got over that hurdle, but did we learn anything? You know, what did we take away from that? Is is a win here going to translate to more success down the road, or is it just like we put everything into it? Yeah. For the Iowa game, put everything into it. It's your last game of the season. There's nothing to lose. That but felt like a closed book. Like, right. Yeah, that was the end of that era, and this feels like a very fresh start. Like That Iowa win didn't break any curses. It didn't. It's not going to catapult us into the next year. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't like that. Would that felt like it was a very final thing, and I think that I like again. Yeah, we're not going to do any predictions or anything, Matt. But Matt Rule, his um, his track record at, at Temple and Baylor were to tear things down and start from scratch. Yeah, and so those first the first year um, at those schools was rough, like from a record standpoint and just from a, a point of growth. Um, and so that's something that you know, I, as we get closer to the season. Um, we might we might be riding that like that wave of hope and, oh, yeah. and you know and that renewed energy and wanting to predict a bull, but um, but it is something to at least keep in mind. Like when you're building a program, the way that Matt Rule does it, he's gonna need to lay down that foundation first. You can hope 
that maybe what Mickey did here, Mickey and Bill Bush and the rest of that staff and these players, you can hope that what they did was they did actually start laying that foundation this year um, and that we get some some of those dividends paid off next year um, and maybe get that helps kind of pro- uh, propel the building process. Yeah, you know, when I look forward to next year and I start thinking about what, what are my realistic expectations for this team and you look at what Matt Rule's been capable of, I think one of the fascinating things to look at is like, his statistics successfully he was the first coach at temple to take him to -to back-to-back bowl games but it took three and four seasons to do that yeah um he was the first coach to ever go from 11 losses to 11 wins at a program and he did that at baylor so he's got a track record like you said of building but those first few years are rough i think husker fans might be in for um another tough season that we've you know gotten used to but i think that we might see a similar success that brett bielema brought to illinois and that we've seen kind of the the middle fruit of that so far, right? He had a yeah. really tough first season where they win five games. Now he's one game out from winning the West. And I don't think Bielem was slowing down. I think he might wind up, they might be the, the favorites going into yeah, next season. Yeah, they very well could be. Um, and, and I think that that's exciting, you know, to, to know that that kind of growth can take place in the Big Ten West. All the stuff coming out of Bielema, as a side note, um, this this weekend has been incredible. I don't know if you heard his father-in-law passed away oh, on Wednesday. I he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to coach just because of great relationship with his father-in-law. Um, he gave a really nice kind of eulogy to him in the presser, was was really touching. Uh, and then I also saw that Pat Fitzgerald was the first coach to reach out to him and offer his condolences. Bielema also lost his mom this season. And so it's been a rough season for Bielema. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald was also the first coach to reach out over that. And so, you know, again, these aren't people who are going to listen to this podcast, but it's just nice to hear kind of that community is going on in yeah. the Big Ten West, but also that like you got a guy like Bielema who, kind of puts it all on the line for his players as well. And I, and I think that Trev recognizes that, Trev Alberts does, and is going to bring another coach in to the fold that fits not only with the school but with the conference and provides that same kind of leadership and expectation and care. And so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm excited for this. I really trust in Trev Alberts. Yeah. And if for him to go through this entire search like a friggin' secret agent, no secrets revealed, yeah. it's like the friggin' Cold War where, like, we've got all the secrets and no one's going to get them exposed. And mm-hmm. then for it to, to come out, I, I really think that Trev did his due diligence. And like that to me is the best um, optimistic point of view I can bring is like Trev did the right thing, did the right search. And this was his guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's very, it's a very clear, like he Trev had a plan and he was executing his plan, um, you know, primarily behind closed doors. And like the minute that that game was over, that's when stuff got leaked. Yeah. Like it was all t- it was all timed out. Now it was Pete Ricketts with him at the game. Do you think Pete leaked it? <laughs> Pete the leak. <laughs> Pete the leaker. Um, all right. Well, that's I think enough talking about Matt Rule. Uh, there's going to be like there's going to be so much so much coming out. Consuming. It's going to be a long off season of just learning all this great stuff, getting excited, and I hope everyone gets to ride that roller coaster. Yeah. I know that we are, and when we come back for our season preview, we're going to predict a twelve and zero record anyway. So you know we might as well have some fun with it. Um, but we are a football and beer podcast, so it is our job to share a new brewery that we haven't covered before on the show, and that is Code Beer Company. Um, we've got a very special beer to talk about with this one as well. But first, I want to start with a little profile on Code Beer. All right. And I'm really excited for this one. We actually got this information um, from Matt Goring, who is uh, one of the owners and brewers at Code. He sent me this information personally, so I'm excited to share a firsthand account. What's his, what's his last name? Goring, Goring, G O H R I N G. Oh, okay. It's not like the guy that created the Simpsons. That's Graining. Okay. <laughs> so, 
He did not create The Simpsons. Oh. I don't think. I mean, he didn't sneak that into my (laughs) profile. That'd be a weird thing not to mention. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so Code Beer Company is owned by Adam Holmberg and founded by both Adam Holmberg and Matt Goring. Goring, excuse me. Code Beer Company was born out of a background in home brewing. Both Adam and Matt homebrewed beer on their own, Adam in Arizona and Matt in Lincoln. It quickly became an obsessive hobby for Matt, and he spent eight years honing his craft. Adam and his family moved back to Lincoln and soon after approached Matt about taking his hobby full-time and starting a brewery. After some some convincing over some beers, Adam and Matt decided it was time to go professional, and thus, Code Beer was born. The guys decided to place their brewery in a neighborhood in Lincoln that was slated for revitalization. The project included apartments and condos along with mixed-use commercial space. They could see the potential that the revitalization could make for the neighborhood and wanted to be part of shaping the area. The neighborhood was to be named the Telegraph District after both the Lincoln Telegraph and Telephone Company Warehouse Building and the Telegraph Museum. Being a new neighborhood, Matt and Adam wanted to help promote the area and decided to base their brewery name on the Telegraph theme. Uh, Telegraphy is about Moore's Code, and they liked the more general idea of code in order to expand on the theme. I know that their growlers have Moore's Code on the side and their bottles and stuff like that. Yeah, their glasses. It's really cool. Matt and Adam bought their used brew house from a Goose Island-owned brew pub in Chicago's Wrigleyville area. The entire project included decommissioning and dismantling the brewery equipment and extracting it from the building it lived in since 1997. It was a crazy and busy four days to get everything taken apart and loaded up for its trip to Lincoln. Code Beer Company opened its doors on July 29, 2017. As far as their brewing philosophy, Code brews a bit of everything but their classic and lager styles really shine. While they do play around with some of the trendier beers, like fruited, hazies, pastries, etc., Matt and Adam really enjoy beer-flavored beer. Sounds like guys right after our own heart. Right. When brewing classic styles, Code sources the appropriate ingredients to make the most authentic version that they can. They even go as far as to lager their German lager beers for upwards of eight weeks. Code named their brewery after the neighborhood in which they reside because they felt it necessary to put down deep roots in the community. They strive to help out Lincoln, not just in their backyard, but throughout the city. Since opening in 2017, they've worked with many different local charities and organizations to help raise money, donations, and awareness. They care about helping those in need and providing people with a safe place to gather and socialize. Having a brewery is obviously about making and selling beer, but it can also be so much more. Um, One thing that they did want us to note is that coming up on December 11th, Code is having their annual Chili for Charity event. The event is part chili contest and part donation gathering for the Lincoln Food Bank. To participate, a donation of food items, personal care items, or just $5 will allow you to taste all 20 different chilies and vote on your favorite. It's a fun event that brings out a lot of the community and helps raise money, food, and personal care items to those in need right before the Christmas holiday. If you'd like to find out more information on this event, you can check out Code Beer Company on their Facebook page. So that is a little introduction to Code Beer, the craziest thing about bringing that entire brewery from chicago goose island <laughs> like th- that that equipment just has to have like a, a little special kiss on it coming from goose island especially <laughs> yeah. with what they're known for for this weekend which is their, their, their bourbon, bourbon county yeah. and all that fun stuff yeah um that's cool that's another example of a nebraska brewery that's just so involved with their community um right from their right from their own inception um you know they dug their roots in deep right off the bat um, so that's really neat to hear. And I will say, I went out to Lincoln to um, to pick up the beer, and, and my wife and I we stopped in and, and tried a couple 
on tap um and they have such a cool cool space there um they got like the exposed brick the exposed beam real comfortable seating dog friendly family friendly um you got your regulars at the bar who your bartender knows by name um you've got you know guys walking around with other craft you know local their brewery shirts on who know their stuff and then you overhear another conversation of somebody like what's an ibu um and so it's just this like really wonderful mix of um, you know, people maybe who are experienced with the craft industry or, or not and, and experiencing it for the first time or getting familiar with it. And so um, it was really neat. And they had the food trucks out there, too. And, um, yeah, it was great. And then, of course, the beer. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk to about that. To top it all yeah. off, right? The beer was um, was great. Uh, we, we tried their Robust Porter, which when they say Robust Porter, they mean Robust Porter. That thing was packed with. That's going to be right up your the alley. Big, yeah, the big, big roasty malt flavor. Um, so that was a really good one. And then we, we, I tried the ES Rogers ESB, which, uh, I brought some back for you and I, um, as well. And so we can, I don't know if we're going to talk about that one. Yeah, first. let's, yeah. Uh, this is a really special beer and we've got a great friend of the it's show, Bill, cool. who's, uh, we talked about Bill before and, and he's just been a great ally to our show. He's, he's listened to our show from the start. So hi, Bill. We're, we're really hey, excited to feature this beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's a, an avid home brewer, but he's also someone who knows the beer community, um, mm-hmm. in Nebraska and, and occasionally collaborates on beers, provides recipes, things that he's tested out. And he's brewed this very special beer. And, and Drew's got a little to tell us about this beer uh, that uh, that Bill made for his family. Yeah, so this is this is Roger's ESB. And uh, Roger was Bill's father-in-law. Um, you know, and I was talking to, to Bill about him. I mean, he, and they put up a good a good post on, on Facebook, on their Facebook page that kind of detailed um, a lot of, of what Roger, of who Roger was and what he meant to, to Bill and their family. Um, but uh, this was Bill. Bill brewed this beer in honor of Roger, who was a big fan of the malty beers. He preferred the malt over the hops. Um, he would always, uh, he's always willing to sample and, and provide feedback to Bill on his home <laughs> homebrew recipes, which I <laughs> think would be a pretty great sure. job. Yeah, yeah. Um, the man was a Vietnam vet, um, and just it sounds like just an all around great guy. And so um, he passed recently, and so this was Bill's way to honor him. And I think it was the perfect way to honor somebody um, who appreciated a good craft beer because. They they produced a really great great ESB. Yeah, this is this is a beer style that you and I both love. This is one where when we find it on a menu, it's kind of like uh, a pale ale, a cream ale, an ESB. Like there's certain beer styles that when you go to a brewery, you're like, well, it sounds like a very forward, you know, base beer, but something. But it's it's hard to do right. It's hard to do well. Yeah. And this is one that, like you said, has that maltiness, that sweetness, but then is perfectly balanced by that bitterness. And it's those those plays within themselves that just make these beers so special and so hard, but also so familiar and comforting. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I can't think of a better kind of beer to lay tribute to someone than to say like, hey, this is this is someone who on the surface is one thing, but inside is complex and, you know, it's hard to pull off another one like you and something yeah. like that. So it's it's such a beautiful tribute, like you said. And, you know, we wish Bill's family all the best and, and um, you know, it's didn't get to meet Roger, but we got to experience his beer, which again, that's another beautiful part of the tradition is being able to carry that on. And anytime someone drinks this beer, you know, they can toast to the memory. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, check out code. If you haven't before, we're going to try some more of them a little bit later on in the show. Thank you to bill for brewing that beer uh, with code and for uh, helping us get in touch with Matt as well to get that awesome profile on them. But now it's time to move in to what I feel is like a main event for us. Um, and that's talking about going to the Iowa game, not just talking about the Iowa game itself, 
but going to the Iowa game. And I have a little surprise for you, Drew. We got a phone call uh, from a listener. Okay. And uh, let's see if we can get this to play. Uh, this was this was called in on the Wannabe Talk Ons hotline. Nice. Hey, guys. This is Kathy. We watched the Nebraska-Iowa game, and I saw you both on TV. Really glad you kept that bad language to a minimum. <laughs> I don't think I saw you say any F-bombs at any of the moments we saw you. Congrats. So Kathy gave us a call. Oh, that's awesome. And wanted to thank us for not uh, saying fuck it all on TV. She has Sorry, no Kathy. idea. They just didn't catch us saying it. We, yeah. we got we got hit on TV uh, during the national anthem. Yep. Hats off, hands on hearts, paying our respects. Very respectful in that moment. And then we got hit at the end of the game when Garrett Nelson handed us the friggin' heroes trophy. Yeah, and my first words were, holy fuck. <laughs> that was incredible. Um, but I, I wanted to go through and give some shout outs, uh, before we get into anything. So I want to give a big thank you for this Iowa trip, uh, to Ben Siders, who you can follow at, uh, arch underscore Hawk for DMing us his best tips for going to the Iowa game. We followed them to a T, uh, and, and he told us where to eat before the game, where to park, where to hang out, how frequently to get beers, <laughs> when to go to the bathroom, all this sort of stuff. We followed it and, and Ben, we got to thank you. It was an amazing experience. Uh, and everything worked out so well for us. Uh, yeah, thank you trip. so much. That yeah. was a phenomenal guide. Yeah. Um, we sat first row on the Nebraska side uh, at the 35-yard line on the on the north side of the 50. And when we say we were first row, we mean like uh, had we fallen forward, we would have been on the field. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was yeah. just absolutely insane. Um, Drew, what were some of your favorite moments just – from being at the Iowa game itself? Um, well, so this is my first road game ever, so just um, the whole experience, I was just like a little little kid, you know, on, on Christmas. Um, my, I, I think the, the moment that caught me off guard that I wasn't expecting to, like, enjoy as much as I did, maybe it's, it makes me sound like I'm a bad person, but the wave is everything that everybody oh says God. it is. It really is. That's I have that in my notes as well, that, like, yeah, it's... I've, yeah, it, it happens after the first quarter, and I honestly forgot that 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 they that that was coming up, and so it was like, oh, we're gonna do this now, and I, and you turn around, and you you start waving, you know, the whole crowd's doing it, and then all of a sudden you start, start seeing all these little hands in the windows, um, and all these little kids start waving back, and it really is like a, it is a, sorry, Kathy, it's a fucking, it's a beautiful fucking moment. It really, it is. really is. Um, and you see, you get caught up in the emotion of that, um. And so that was really wonderful. Um, obviously, the the win was great. the the um, The celebration from the players was incredible. That they to see them, you know, go scoop up that trophy. Um, Garrett Nelson was was really he, he wanted every Nebraska fan to touch that trophy, and he made sure that that happened. Um, and that tells you that you know he he loves Nebraska. Yeah. Um, but he also understands like how important it is to the fans in the state. Um, like he's a, he's one of those guys that you say like he, he gets it. Like he really does. Um, seeing Bill Bush after the game, um, he came down and, and, and celebrated with the fans too. Um, he, the, the man, that's another, one. he gets it. Like that's yeah. a man who like, he legitimately, legitimately loves this program. He loves this state and he loves being here and doing what he's doing. So, um, well, I mean all of that, like all those, all those like special moments, I think are the ones that are going to stick and stand out. Yeah. I, I gotta say as well, Iowa fans, I th- I thought were actually quite the treat. They were really kind. They were really yeah. nice. We sat next to a pair of Iowa fans who were really nice to talk to. They talked about their trip to Minnesota. 
they didn't say poorly of Minnesota, but they also didn't compliment Minnesota, which I thought was <laughs> Just was telling. Yeah. Um, but you know the the game day experience in Iowa, it's a little bit of a smaller stadium, not by much, uh, but but it, it feels completely different than Memorial Stadium. The production uh, of everything going on is completely different, and it's yeah. really neat to see what these two different schools are like and what their traditions are, and and, and where there aren't traditions. Right. So like the tunnel walk, you think, well, that feels like something that every team does is they come out of the tunnel and they run on the field. But like Nebraska's tunnel walk versus Iowa's tunnel walk is just two different things. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the Iowa team gets jacked up when you hear back in black and like that's their serious. Right. Like that's their moment. They have a hawk fly onto the field. They have the flyover. They have the fireworks. They have that same production. And it's just it's all a little bit different. So everything feels kind of like you do feel a little out of place where you're like, no, that's not how football happens. Like that's not. Um, but again, the experience was just incredible. Like you said, the wave was, I don't know if that the wave would have made an impact as, as much as it did had I not, if I weren't a parent, uh, yeah. um, yeah. it would have still like crushed me. But like, I think we both had tears when we turned back to the game. I mean, it was, oh yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Yeah. And to just, again, I don't have a conflated head. Hopefully people don't feel that way. I know that it's not the individual us waving to the individual kid. It's the act of the whole doing it. But like it is, it is just so nice to feel connected um, with 70,000 people and to, to say like we love and support these kids that are going through absolute hell and that we all get to enjoy what's going on here. And, and that's a connection that's been lost the past few years uh, because of like COVID and, and things of that nature. So to be connected in that moment, it's, it's not just about waving to kids. It's that whole feeling that kind of overwhelmed me where it was like, we're, we're part of something right now. Yeah. And that being a part of something just feels good. Yeah. Nebraska really wanted this win though. And that's what those seats taught me is being right next to the bench and seeing those guys, like they were laser focused. Um, we were yelling louder than I think I've ever yelled at a game because I knew people could hear me. <laughs> right. And we did not break their concentration. We did not break their focus. We did not. They, I mean, we could have reached out and hit someone, but I was too scared to because I did not want to throw off whatever was going on. And, and that's, again, that's part of that experience, right? Like mm-hmm. there is this, there's three feet that separate us, but there's a great distance between me and them being on the field. If that makes sense. Like yeah. they are there for a reason. I am where I'm at for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but you, you mentioned Bill Bush and his celebration. And I just want to go into a little bit more detail okay. about Billy Bush yeah. because he was standing right in front of us on our end of the field. The play was taking place that last Iowa drive where Klarvik, made the interception was on the opposite end. Mm-hmm. He's a safeties coach. Like he, he works in the backfield. So his point of view was best from where we were sitting and he was, you know, dialing up pressure. He was calling what he needed to do. And we were like inches away from interceptions before this. And then that one hit and man, if that guy didn't celebrate yeah. and if we didn't start screaming, Billy, boy, Billy, <laughs> Bill, great call Bill. And he turns and points to us yeah. and he goes, that's it. That's fucking black shirts, baby. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And then he, Bill Bush throws the bones at us. Yes. And then after in the celebration, we get high fives from Bill Bush. Like that's a, a moment and a memory that I will just cherish as a fan mm-hmm. it, it, as much as being able to touch the trophy in that moment, because just getting to see then like that laser focus and then that shell that she'll drop yeah. and they could finally rejoice in that moment just a raw outpouring was just was just awesome and you know not every away game is going to be like that not every victory or loss or game is going to be like that but this one like we had said earlier like you said i think drew this 
this just felt like a special moment. This felt like something that this team needed, this fan base needed, these coaches needed. You know, nothing's deserved, but things can be earned. And this yeah. felt earned by not giving up on the season that that whole experience. So, um, yeah, man, yeah. thank you to Iowa fans for being so kind. Again, thank you to Ben for all the recommendations. Yeah. Um, I also want to shout out Scott Brune, who's the Nebraska director of photography for the university. Um, he took some pictures of us. I sent him a message saying, hey, can I buy a couple copies of those from you? And he was just like, thanks for coming. I'm glad you guys had a great time. Here's the photos. And he just yeah. sent me over the high-res version. So thank you to, to him as well that, like, everyone – that we encountered for some reason, we must've just looked like the biggest idiots. They're just like, just let them have fun. <laughs> but everything was like so magical. I know it. It and really it, was. It was again, hard not to just walk around with the biggest grin. We're, we're two people amongst 70,000 and it just felt curated for exactly what we wanted the day to be. <laughs> it really was. Like, it's wild. We got to the brewery. It was barely busy. We walked in. We sat down. They got us beer right away. Our food came out immediately. It and came out before I ordered it. It was the service was it was at Big, Big Grove. Big Grove, by yeah, the way. which they had a phenomenal food. Yeah, an incredible lineup of beer. Their space was it was so cool. Yeah. Um. So if you're ever out in Iowa City, if you make it to a game, or if you're just in that area, Big Grove Brewing, go. Yeah, and then they also had beer at the stadium from Big Grove, they which did. we got to enjoy. They had beer at the stadium. We got a drink during a game. Well, we drank before. Well, yeah. <laughs> we had finished our beer before kickoff, which that's is true. that's an us thing, not a them thing. But yeah. we also had a drive in front of us. So we wanted to be responsible and yeah. and have plenty of time so that we could drive back safely. Also, and- I needed to make sure I wasn't like drinking so much that I did start saying things <laughs> to the players. <laughs> I think the only... The only person we criticized on the offensive side of the ball, or on the, excuse me, not the offense, the Iowa side of the ball, was Brian Ferentz. Oh, yeah. That was Even bad. Even the Iowa fans were getting in on <laughs> I that. I think they were so meaner than we were. <laughs> yeah, we were just like, no, were. he's doing great, guys. Yeah. He's, this is exactly what we want out of him. <laughs> so, yeah, an incredible experience. Kinnick's a cool stadium, the way that it sits into the ground, the way that it's amongst the, kind of just the downtown. It's not even where it feels like a full-on campus. It feels it like it all blends yeah, together. which is a neat space. Um, God, I just I highly recommend it for Nebraska fans. Not a terrible drive from Omaha or Lincoln. Yeah. Um, and I I have no reason to think that we wouldn't be back out there in two years. I would, Yeah, I'd love to make that a tradition. So, especially – after a, a, a second season with Matt Rule yeah. at, the, <laughs> right. at the helm, so uh, so let's talk about this this game. Uh, less our personal experience and and more what went on in the game, the final game of the 2022 season, where Nebraska takes the Heroes Trophy from Iowa with a score of 24 to 17. Uh, takes away the Big Ten West from them. Oh, even better. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to brag, but I predicted Michigan Purdue at the start of the season yeah, on the on the did. Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. That was yeah. my pick. And uh, I was right. Yeah, it probably happened exactly how you expected it to happen, too, right? Well, Purdue no. Purdue getting, like, a backdoor cover. <laughs> like, <laughs> Literally. Like, the, the crazy. Halfway through that game, I was like, man, I hope Illinois is winning because I don't <laughs> I don't want to beat Iowa and then send Iowa. And, oh, man, and then yeah. I, that team, again, like we talked about, they must have just rallied around coach. And, like, Illinois was not going to lose that game no. for hell or high water. Um, but, yeah, so Nebraska just anyway. hangs a mean one on Iowa. Yeah. Uh, Drew, what are your what are your initial thoughts on the game, or just dive right I, into Nebraska's offense, or where do you want to go? Oh man, I guess I a lot, all my notes more are more or less um, very player specific. So I guess we can start on the we can start on the offensive side. Um, Trey Palmer woke up pissed again, as he said, um, and just fucking tore that that defense up like he was getting behind that secondary. Um, he had an eighty seven yard touchdown catch, obviously to start off the game. He broke Nebraska's single season record, scored another touchdown in there. Um, I went and looked um, back at 
at Iowa's past, all their seasons under Kirk Ferentz. I dug through all their. <laughs> you are I, I know. I dug through all their old box scores as far back as I could go. So I couldn't find anything um, starting the 2000 season. It was I, it was hard to find anything. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that that 87 yard touchdown play is the longest in the Kirk Ferentz era. The longest play given up by his defense. It's Ooh. at least the longest one given up since 2001. Oh. And oh, so I didn't think this game could get better. So yeah, and they've only I mean they just don't give up big plays like that hardly ever. Um and so and so to start the game like that was so um it was so exciting but then you also have to think like on the Iowa side like they're not used to taking a punch like that. Yeah. Um and the, and and Trey Palmer did that against Purdue and then we saw him just do that all day long. Yep. And so you know they had to that had to be in the back of their mind like oh shit like we're not going to be able to cover this guy. Which um, they weren't. And they couldn't. They no. really couldn't. Um, and then Wa- Marcus Washington had an, a nice touchdown catch in there, yeah. too. And so, um, shout out to him. I think um, Brewington had another catch and run that was really good. And so they were getting a lot of guys involved in the offense. Um, but uh, Trey Palmer, his record setting day. Yeah. I think that you gave him a shout out. Um, Ramir Johnson was the other guy on offense. Uh, you know, Anthony Grant wasn't having the best day. He wasn't really making good choices in terms of just getting north-south. He wasn't getting good blocking to do so, but um, but Ramir came in, and, and I thought he had some nice runs and, and filled in nicely. Um, yeah, you know, they identified Ramir as a, as a great choice early on in the game, mm-hmm. and I think that with with Iowa's defensive line, when they know a run is coming, if if you don't make that initial go, you're you're not getting anywhere, and you that's that's swarmed. kind of Grant's move, right? Is he's yeah. one cut and go, whereas Ramirez just go, and mm-hmm. I think that's why Ramirez was effective early on against Iowa. Is, is it was just hey, I'm going to hit my gap, and if it's there, I've got the speed to just to get uphill, and and that was really nice to see him be effective, to be confident. What a bullshit fumble they called on him. I rewatched the game, and I don't buy it when he no. fumbled that ball. I, I mean, thought it, he was on top of the defender, so I thought that's why it counted. No, I know. It's just on replay, it was one of those kind of – it felt fishy to me, and, yeah. and it felt fishy in the stadium when they cut away from it during oh, the review yeah. and they don't show the review. <laughs> You're like, come on. Like, yeah. at least show us on the on the Jumbotron. So it felt a little whatever. I mean, I'll still take plus three in the turnover margin for Nebraska, right. but uh, I thought that that wasn't indicative to have that on his on his stats for the way that he was playing in that game. I think he did a, a great job running. Gabe Irvin also came in and got some hard yards, um, did a nice job as well when they needed to, to call upon him. Uh, my big shout-outs, you know, you mentioned Palmer and Washington, so I can cross those off the list of mentioning, but I thought our O-line did great in pass pro. Um, they gave Casey enough time they uh, to get uh, the ball to Palmer when he was open. Um, some nice blocking downfield by wide receivers on some screen plays. We saw some nice screens work out early in the game to get Iowa back on their heels. Yeah. Um, that was another way that Palmer factored into the game. It wasn't just, you know, the deep thread. It was get him the ball and get him out on the edge. They started the game with like four or five straight passes before they yeah. thought yeah. about running the ball, and Casey had plenty of time to make decisions. Um, so I was just really impressed with the way that the O-line played in pass protection. The 87-yard touchdown, did you watch any of the replays other than just us being there, or is this all just kind of recollection? Or uh, I, did, I did watch. I went back and watched like just the highlights and okay. stuff afterwards. Call me crazy, but I'm pretty sure that on that touchdown pass, 31, who I think is Campbell on Iowa's defense, like stopped right in front of Casey when Casey went to hitch and throw he, the ball. Yeah, he well, he'd stopped to get his hands up. And so I, I had to rewind that a couple of times because I was like, he could have gotten home. He could have laid a nasty hit on Casey, and it would not have been roughing the passer. It would have been, I think, in motion. I know he was going I for th- a play there, but I think 
just watching that, if if you go back and rewatch it and just filter through, like, could he have gotten there? Yeah. The speed he was coming in, I thought with the way Casey was hitching to throw, I was surprised he stopped. Yeah. That felt really interesting to me. And I'm, and I'm not trying to take away by any means. <laughs> I couldn't throw the ball as far as Casey. I can't run as fast as Palmer. And I, would, and I wouldn't have been able to get home if I were 31. <laughs> it just was one of those where it was like, that, that to me, if I would have seen that from the TV view, I would have been like, I was not, doesn't want to be here. I was not ready to play. Because those are those kind of plays that make all the difference. Because yeah. I'd, I'd think, I'm going to take the hit on him. Because what's it going to do? 15 well, yards if he's... Yeah, I'd see, and that's the thing is like it was I mean, you're zero zero. That's your second drive, and so I, that's what I caught from it was he he pulled up and it caught my eye, but it was you know as I'm like he jumped, he put his hands in the air, um, he pulled off. But I thought that's what it was. I thought I thought it was okay. He's thinking I can hit this guy, and maybe disrupt the play, but he might also get this pass off, and I might get this penalty, and I don't think he wanted to to give up that penalty. I can, that's buy, what, I can buy that. That's what it looked like. But it me. also looked like he could have gotten there. And that was what surprised me is Iowa doesn't strike me as a as a defense that's going to kind of play with that cushion. Iowa doesn't strike you as a conservative team? They they strike me as a hard-hitting <laughs> defense is what they yeah. – if, if it was on offense and they were making that play, I'd be like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but if it's on defense, I think, man, I, he's in stride. He's not quite releasing the ball. I've, I've got a chance to really lay a hard hit on him. I'd take it. Yeah. So that, that kind of surprised me. I'm – Look, I'm not mad. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not upset about it. Yeah. It was just surprising to see that from from Iowa's offense and rewatching it. I went, oh man! Like from that perspective, I would have felt even more comfortable just out on that one play. Like there's something about the way Iowa is playing right now. That they're they're either thinking Nebraska is going to be too easy, or they're just not in it today just the way that Nebraska or... is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't want to say timid. I'm not trying to piss off no. Iowa fans. Okay. You know, or anything. I'm just saying like it was a surprising move. Is all I'm trying to get at. Okay. Okay. And then Cooper DeGene going out for Iowa's defense against that offense. I think that was just a heartbreaker for them. That was, yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, that's part of the game, right? You lose players. Nebraska yeah. was playing without their, I would say, one of their top defenders in Luke. Oh, Ryan absolutely. Game. And so it's like. Look, we'll, we'll get to that, that Nebraska's sec, you know, second stringers well, yeah, we'll stepped up to the plate a hell of we'll a lot better than Iowa's do. But Defensive players. Um, but, but not only was he a, you know, a, a defensive juggernaut for that team he's one of their best scorers as far as turnovers <laughs> go is, yeah. and he's also a threat on special teams so like yeah. he's one of those all-around players that like it's when well, you it's, saw them they muffed a punt yeah and yeah like and and um Trey, a lot of Trey Palmer's big plays came up against that like number six I think he's a freshman I don't yeah. know his name Hill I think it was is it yeah. yeah um yeah so that was yeah I agree that's how you know when you you know you say like oh we're gonna play these guys we want to we want to play the best we want to beat their best yeah um like you do, but at the same time, I feel like. I mean, regardless of who was in there, Trey Palmer didn't seem like he was going to be stopped. He had a he had a step on everyone. Yeah, as the thing is, like I don't know, Cooper DeGene's probably. Uh, I mean, he is. He's a great defender. I don't know how fast he is. I don't think he's faster than Trey. No. So, I don't think there's a lot of guys in the in the Big Ten period who are faster than Trey. Yeah. There might be receivers with more yards. There might be guys with more touchdowns. But for pure speed's sake, goes they unless, play, unless they Matt play Mullen. For, I was say they yeah. play for Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, Matt Mullen does. Trey Palmer's not a speed guy. <laughs> um, sidebar, did you watch any of the Purdue game at all? Um, uh, uh, very little. Okay, so <laughs> Intentionally, very little. Uh, Matt Mullen uh-huh. said this about Maccabi, their running back. Uh-huh. He goes, that guy's my favorite bar of soap. And I thought, what? Kathy, here it comes. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, that guy runs like a bar of soap. 
Because he's slippery. He's slippery. And when you try to grab him, he just slips out of your hands. Uh huh. He goes, what a bar of soap. But he didn't give the description right away. Like, he didn't describe it right away. He yeah. just said, that guy's a bar of soap. <laughs> and I was like, well, like, in a pillowcase? Like, he's going to beat you and not leave a bruise? Like, what is he trying to say? I have, I have never. I've watched a lot of football in my life. I've listened to a lot of football on the radio. I have never heard a guy. Do you, do you think there could be a worse duo than Matt Mullen and Robert Griffin III on a call? Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine sitting through that? I'm not, I don't want to rag on those guys any more than we have to. I would say Robert Griffin was at least kind to Nebraska when yeah, he came. Yeah, I thought, I thought he was better against the Wisconsin game. I didn't think yeah. he was great, but on the Wisconsin game, I thought he was a little bit better than the, than Michigan. And it's yeah. tough because Michigan, obviously, you're you're excited to call that game Yeah, because they're a juggernaut. You're going to call a college football playoff caliber team. And um, with the Wisconsin game being at Nebraska, he was a little bit more kind and probably a little bit more researched on yeah. Nebraska having it been his second week. Matt Mullen has no excuse. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on with that dude. When he's calling a game, I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna listen to my my grandpa talk for <laughs> for the next three hours, and none of it's gonna be good. Oh man, did you have, <laughs> do you have any do you have any other offensive uh, anything else on the offense that you wanted to? Uh, offensive, no. Oh. Offensive, just more Matt Mullen. You know, I can't. <laughs> Um, no, no, I, I'm happy to look into the defense and, and the first thing that jumps out at me, the way that this defense played is that they created the defense created three ton- turnovers and special teams brought a, brought a fourth and yeah. a, a game ceiling turnover, um, just two turnovers off the edge, mm-hmm. off that edge rush where I don't know about you, but just sitting when, when, uh, Tiva Maga Clements had that, that big strip sack on Padilla and yeah. Garrett Nelson had the recovery. God, I wanted him to score. Was it? I, I, I from where we were sitting, I could count and see that it was six to five Nebraska's advantage on that rush, and it was just missed by Padilla. He just missed that coverage. Yes, and and it was one where you're like, oh, this is gonna be fun. From, yeah, from the moment the ball was snapped, yeah, even before that, it. you yeah, were just like, like, this is gonna be bad. And yeah. and Kirk Ferentz in his in his post game laid that blame one hundred percent on Padilla. Nice, good. One hundred percent. He goes, you know, sometimes it's just up to the quarterback to see that. Yeah. If Petrus was in, I'm sure he would have caught it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, man. oh wait, but no, it, he didn't because Newsom did it to him. Right. Yeah, because Newsom had already <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, they were getting they were generating a ton of edge pressure. That obviously Ativa and, and uh Newsom with the strip sacks, but then you saw Tanner Caleb Tanner and Nelson. There. They were Nelson, all Mathis. All of them were getting back there. Ty Robinson was having a nice day yeah. in the backfield, getting good push. Yep. Um, Colton Feast Colton was Feast. was doing his thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Hutmacher was getting some good time on the nose. Just that that whole defensive line, I think, had their best. Actually, I think both of Nebraska's lines probably had their best day of the season yesterday, offensive yeah. and defensive. And Iowa's a tough team to run against, and that offensive line was creating holes for Ramir to get through. Um, and Iowa's offensive line is known for being somewhat decent. But when you go back and you watch Iowa versus Wisconsin, I think Nebraska studied that film pretty hard because the way that uh, that Wisconsin was able to get pressure on on Iowa, Nebraska did the exact same thing, and it led yeah. to good things. It led to capitalizing on points. Yeah, it led to winning the game. Right, and not well, not having a, any semblance of a passing attack. You know, not having receivers that are able to create separation or get open. Um, losing Sam Laporta before the before the game, not having your top. Uh, pass catcher in there at all um and then and then getting bumped to your second string quarterback mid-game you know unexpectedly that can create all sorts of 
of issues. And so I think at that point, um, that also kind of gave, I mean, and you have nothing to lose, but I think that Bill Bush really saw like, you know, we're just going to cut them loose. Yeah. Um, and, and sell out, um, on these blitzes and it, and it paid off in a big way. Um, you know, they got, they got burned a few times in the run game. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't cause they weren't trying to guard the run. I think that they were stacking the box a little bit too throughout the game. Like they were still accounting for, for stopping the run. Um, Iowa just had some plays where they just beat them. Yeah. And, um, and but you, not enough. You expect that from Iowa, right? Like yeah. at least from Iowa, you expect a team that's never going to stop fighting back. Yeah. And, as as much as you hate that when you're their opponent, you like to see it when you just when you're a fan of football, right? Right. That like this is going to be a game for four quarters. Iowa's never a team to roll over and die. Kurt Ferentz even said in the press conference, "Hey, you know when we were down and we had you know still ten points to go or something, we had them right where we wanted them." You, and it's like even yeah, you kind of believe that it's true with with um, I mean you had a twenty four point lead, right? And so and you never felt comfortable i mean that's nebraska being nebraska though too like that's that's us having this historical data over how many seasons where it's like it, it's we're not confident till the clock hits zero yeah that's true um it doesn't I, stop but, us from being but, cocky on the side <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> man um but but when they scored that they scored that first touchdown on that run um and then um uh, and then the next time they and it would it was 24 to 7 but there was they had that score going with what, like eight minutes left in the game. Yeah, and even then, man, you're thinking that it's it still didn't possible. Whether yeah. they had the ball, or we had the ball. It was like, and that's and then Ramirez had the turnover, and that's mm-hmm. when you start to go, uh oh, this whole thing's unwinding. That's when, yeah, because that because it's it goes from being like, you know, it's like, you know, Iowa is is the type of team that finds ways to win. They'll mm-hmm. scrap it out. They'll keep fighting to the end. Nebraska is the one that finds ways to lose. Um, so there wasn't a there wasn't a big enough a real big enough cushion. It felt like if they had one more touchdown in the bag, obviously like that would have been. <laughs> it always you feels like I mean? if there's one more touchdown. God, if we had thirty one to nothing lead, um, <laughs> but but just the, yeah, those things paired together, and then that yeah, the fumble was the thing that made it feel like the curse was back. Like yeah. that's what makes you feel like something is working against you, sure, um, actively, and so yeah, but but. Um, you know, credit to uh, the defense for for making the stops when they had to. Yeah. Um, Man, how heartbreaking they, was it, though, time after time, to have those interceptions that were just right in their uh, mid? Yeah, that yeah. It just felt like it, it could have been a six-turnover game for Nebraska instead of four. Right, yeah. They could have sealed it earlier um, with those. And I know uh, Quint, that was, those were both um, Quentin Newsom, and he was catching some heat for that. And I don't – I mean, I get it. Like, you want your – you want if you if you have the ball in your hands, you want to catch it. Right, like you yeah. should catch it, but hey, he's a, he's a DB, like he's not a receiver. Um, see, he's in the right place at the right time. He's breaking down a pass. He's breaking it up, um, and then he had he had the the strip the sack, and, yeah. he, and he forced a fumble earlier. Still in the a game. great like, game. He was still yeah. having a great game, um, and I actually thought um, that that Iowa was was really attacking him throughout this game. Yeah, I don't think that they really were trying to go after Malcolm, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is because I think they were they were going to tight ends a lot, and so tight ends are like up covered up by our linebackers and stuff mostly. But um, but when they were throwing um, to receivers, especially like it felt like they were going after Quentin, they were going to his side of the ball, and so um, I just that was just something of interest to me. I sure. guess it's like okay, so Malcolm went from being the guy that was getting thrown on early in the season to now uh, you have a team that's it seems like it's they're, they're avoiding him, yeah, um, because he's had so many interceptions. So. Absolutely. But anyway, um, 
Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know what else, what else you got. Anything that you want to talk yeah, about you with know, the defense? I, it's more so Iowa's offense that I'm just I'm I'm so perplexed by. Like yeah. you've got an offensive line that can clearly bully this this defensive line around if you choose to. But I think the longer that you try and throw the ball on them or try and do these shallow mesh routes with your tight ends and things like that, or you're trying to throw to the edge, like you're just putting your bad on Nebraska's good. Right? Yeah. Don't attack Nebraska's secondary when you're not known for it. Like Purdue had success yeah. with it because they've got a quarterback who can throw it through the tightest of windows right. and you've got receivers who can make great plays. Like every great play that happened for Iowa's uh, receivers happened damn near out of bounds. Like there was never a, a, a solid like reception where you're like, man, what a great catch. It was always a question mark. And I just mm-hmm. am so perplexed by that, that they, they don't tend to have that introspection to like better themselves. And, and, and Mark Whipple can be the same way, right? Where that you're like, this feels like you could just run all over us if you chose to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the alternative side with Mark Whipple's offense, it's like when we need to run, you're like, well, just keep passing the ball because that's more efficient for what we're doing. And then we get frustrated because Mark Whipple's not attacking anymore. He's being conservative. And it's like, yeah. that's when we tend to kind of drop these games. But no, I thought, you know, Nebraska's defense was making me nervous. Padilla was putting up, you know, a, a scare. He was starting to move the ball downfield and, uh, Nebraska's defense wasn't getting the stops and Iowa was starting to gain that confidence and their running attack was really coming to life in that second half. Yeah. Um, but they were then, bringing the crowd back into it too. They were. I will say Kinnick got pretty loud. I was Yeah, surprised. surprisingly. On that big run, it, yeah. it really came back to life. And you're like, man, where have these people been this yeah. whole game? But then, you know, near the end of the game, you just felt no urgency from that offense. and and You didn't, but I thought that that was, I didn't see that as a bad thing. Um, I know we shit on Iowa a lot, like their offense and how like stubborn and conservative they are. But, um, but we also talk about like the importance of an identity in a team and, um, that's their identity, right? Like they know they're not going to be able to like, they're not going to try to throw it to get back in the game. They're not going to try to do what we were doing with Trey Palmer. They don't have that guy. They don't have that quarterback. Um, I felt like they stayed true to who they were. And they really did play their way back into the game with yeah. that game plan. Yeah. And they did that despite the turnovers on offense and despite the turnovers on special teams. Um, and so they, like, in that moment, and I think that's what, that's what, um, that's why Kirk Ferentz is the way he is. That's why he's so fucking stubborn. Sorry, Kathy. Um, is because he, because he's just, he, he knows, like, I can keep leaning on this because it's gotten me out of those gotten me out of those um, situations enough times or at least got me back to a point where I have a chance in games like this yeah so um and with an opponent like Nebraska we talked about this before a lot of teams will go in there saying we're just gonna wait for them to beat themselves sure and this was the game that Nebraska didn't beat themselves yeah so felt pretty good it felt it felt really fucking yeah. good yeah. Um, my favorite play when Nebraska was on defense, though, had nothing to do with the turnovers. It yeah. was when there was like a minute 30 left on the game and Garrett Nelson gets his big old pop, swats the ball. And then Iowa's offensive lineman was like, I got this is a ball I have to catch. I need to bring this catch in. And then the clock just keeps running. Like it felt like the most Iowa when I talk about no urgency, mm. they didn't even like rush back. It wasn't like a quick let's get the ball and like snap and spike or something like that. It was like, a, let's just keep going. There's a minute 21 left in the game. Yeah, we can we can do this. Um, and then a few plays later. Clarvick seals the deal and yeah. uh, Chance Brewington, who's sitting on the sidelines just praying for a win, gets to celebrate. Oh, and man, yeah, and Chance, he was off on his own, um, yeah. which is is not a knock. Like not, he's, he's away from his teammates in that moment, but I think that's just because, again, that just shows like how, like how much these players like really 
really care about this yeah. about winning these games winning this game in particular um you know that's his, that was probably his way of, of handling the stress of that moment yeah. when you're on the oh, side yeah. you're it's out of your control at that point right yeah. like he did everything he could do with his when he was on the field and so um so yeah that was I, I that was another cool thing about the experience was just getting to see the way that guys process their emotions on the sidelines and how they handled those situations yeah um and made it all the you know all the better when they ended up winning and got got to experience that yeah that joy so so the last area to cover is special teams and i mean i think there's to me there's two big plays obviously one is the muffed muff punt and yeah. then nebraska basically stealing another possession on that front as well where they're moving really deep in enemy territory and that's what uh brought about the washington touchdown if i remember correctly where he just gets hit with the dart over the middle and yeah. and they get the six points there and then um, they had, Brian Boomchini had that one punt where, yeah. man, that's one of those little things where you're like, I hope that gets cleaned up next year. Special teams has gotten increasingly better, but we didn't really down a whole lot within the five. Yeah. Something that Iowa is masterful at. Yeah. Nebraska really hasn't had a lot of that, and they had a perfect opportunity late in the game. Boomchini hit a great punt, and... Iowa fair caught it, got out of the way, and then it just kind of dribbles in between just, two Huskers, and you're like, went, oh. Yeah. That, like that, was just an, them. that was another one of those where you went, oh, this is where we beat ourselves. Like, we yeah. could have put them deep. We could have had a safety. We could have forced them to not be themselves, be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and yet now they've got 20 yards of relief, and, and it felt like another one of those moments, but then obviously the defense stepped up and yes. shut them down. But um, those are the things I want to see cleaned up moving forward in special teams, and, and it's nice to – be cleaning up special teams and not right. rebuilding special teams. Yes. Yeah, we are to that point now where um, there's very clearly more positives than the negatives. Um, and, and we have we have specialists here coming in that I think we can rely on in that in that phase of the game. Um, I was I think we talked about this a little bit as it was happening, but I wish that they would have. Part of me, I still now and thinking back, I'm like, I don't know, but. At the moment, I was like, I, I wish they would have gone for the field goal in that moment. I wish that, that um, they would have attempted it. And I know that Bleak Road doesn't have the biggest leg. Um, he had missed the the one early on on their opening drive, I think. Um, and so, I, and, and you have Bushini, who I think you can count as a weapon, as a punter. Um, and so I get what they're trying to do. You want to pin them deep. They got no timeouts. They're going to have a minute left. Um, I was n- obviously not a, an offense. It, um, can score at will or just march down the field. They don't have that up tempo. I don't think they're comfortable with that. So I, I understand like a lot of the reasoning for punting there. Um, but w- what we saw happen was, you know, the the touchback. So you only gained, we gained what, 14 yep, yards? 14. Off of that punt. Um, we saw Iowa early in their game go do a 90 minute drive. Um, they did it in under three minutes. So it was for them, that's like, that's a fast pace. They sprinted. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then we also know, um, that, that we, you know, I don't, we're Nebraska, like we tend to do this to ourselves where we have these collapses. And so I felt like that was a good opportunity to, to put your, put your faith in your kicker and say, go out there and win the game. Cause if you make that field goal, that's, it's done. Yeah. You're up by two scores under, under a minute left. Um, and they don't have any timeouts left. So because then they have to drive the field, score, get the ball back, and score. Yeah. And so, as opposed to if you miss that field goal, um, they still have under a minute to go or about a minute to go. They still don't have timeouts, and I think they still had like like seventy yards or so to drive. 
which they're not known for doing that either. Yeah. And they had to score a touchdown. They couldn't just get it to field goal position. Right. So right. I felt like the reward of getting the field goal um, was worth it compared to the risk of missing it. Yeah. And so I was, I, I mean, I'm not going to, obviously I'm not going to nitpick it. It all worked out, but I just, in that moment and now even afterwards, I'm kind of like, man, I wish they would. I feel like that would have been the call I would have made. Okay. So, well, I just wanted to force get, my opinion. You're not getting paid $9 million a year <laughs> to make calls on the I sidelines. Know. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, that would be, that would be the best 30 for 30. If the, the story of you swindling your way onto yes. the sidelines. Matt Rule, if you want to call the wannabe talk ons hotline and just go ahead and uh, schedule an interview with me. Yeah. Yeah. As a special teams coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be something. Uh, the, the I guess the last thing that I have to talk about on this special teams was I've uh, I've never seen the call of jumping the shield, and uh, in the stadium I still didn't know that that was the call. Yeah, and I think it took how long an hour and a half on the drive home <laughs> until we realized that was the call <laughs> yeah. that he was because when that happened live and and we all thought that Bushini got hit and we were like he didn't get hit they, but they, they called it I don't think anybody knew because they kept replaying it and it was so loud at that the boos were everybody so loud. was booing because it was like he didn't and then people were around us like he didn't get touched he didn't get touched and even we were like he didn't yeah. get touched but when you watch the replay whoever it was that jumped the shield got there sorry Kathy shit rocked when they got lifted <laughs> and upended that's why and he, brought yeah. down and that rule exists for that yeah, purpose exactly yeah, so that you are safe in, in doing so but. Um, yeah, I thought from from all three aspects of the of the of the team with offense, defense, and special teams was a very complete game. There weren't a lot of mistakes being made. Offense was executing, defense was executing, special teams was doing their job. Timmy missed a, a tough one, but it, it was a tough one, right? You're you're uh, you're on the left hash. You're trying to cut it across, make your way through. It's early on, what have you? And and he was warming up right next to us so we said nothing to him afterwards we kind of were just like that's tough yeah but i don't want to jinx him and then he went out and he hit another one and then yeah. you're like all right we got our kicker He's back okay yeah. yeah so ultimately man i don't know if there's if there's ever been a, a better first away game ever uh, experienced by anyone ever probably not there might not be a better uh football game ever played in the history of nebraska football <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say in the last seven years but you know, hey. Oh, man. But, you know, it's all about perspective. So Absolutely. So, again, Nebraska wins this one 24-17. They end Iowa's hopes at the Big Ten West with Purdue coming through with the win and then Illinois backing up just to be, you know, on the on the safe side in case Purdue can't fulfill their duties. Yeah. You know, yeah. Illinois is right there to back them up. And, uh, they probably, probably earned Brian Ferentz a raise. Yep. You know, for yep. putting up a watch. We put up 17, 17 points. At <laughs> a boy, Brian. In one half. Yeah. Imagine if you do it in two halves. Yeah. Yeah. In in the same game. <laughs> All right. Before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our very special show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. Longtime listeners of the show know that Wannabe Walk Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. The craft beer industry has a $600 million impact in Nebraska alone. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small business, something that's important now more than ever. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer.
Well, Drew, now that the 2022 season is in the record books for Nebraska, it's time for us to reflect on the season that that was with some immediate introspection, which, you know, is just going to be hyperbole bullshit, whatever it happens to be. Sorry, Kathy. But you know what is real? The beers we drank. Yes. And the way that we felt about those. Yeah, real and really good. um, I've got some fun stats about the beer we drank. Nice. I love stats. So... We drank, you want to guess how many different beers we drank this season? Uh, last time it was in the 60s. We we, we dialed back a little bit for, <laughs> for our liver's sake, for our wives' sake. We we definitely dialed back. Yeah. We did fewer beers. Okay. Did um, we reach the 50? Did we did we not. 50 mark? We oh. did not reach the 50 mark. Do we deserve to be a podcast about beer? <laughs> Jesus. I, I think we do. I think we do. Yeah. Yeah. You, what we did last year is when we had a sportsman sip, for, uh-huh. for one, we did a sportsman sip every episode, which oh, that's true. <laughs> so, so not only that, but then also we had more brewery visits and you remember what uh, happened when we went to the breweries yeah, is they generous. were like, well, you got to try everything we have on tap. And we're like, okay. And then everything we have in the back, that's not even like fully <laughs> fermented, but you can drink it anyway. So we didn't do as much of that. Okay. So that's why we did get scaled down a little bit, yeah. but I will say, so, okay, I'll say, I'm going to guess 45, but I want it before we go further. I will say that when we weren't drinking on the show and performing, I was practicing a lot. Oh, I know, baby. I know you were. Yeah. I know you were. Yeah, you, you play were. you play how you practice. And yeah. So. And that doesn't take into consideration the, the beers we drank when we were guests on uh, Big Dudes in the Trenches. Uh, that yeah. doesn't take into consideration yeah. the night that we stayed overnight at the um, Divots. And we had free reign of their entire oh, yeah. tap where we, we didn't drink responsibly, but we also stayed overnight. We walked home. We did. We walked back the to the hotel. Lot. So such a cool setup. That was, that was incredible. Yeah. A highlight of the season for, for sure. many reasons. For sure. Um, so anyway, you said 45, 45. Yeah. Did we do 45? It's 37. Okay. So it's a little bit smaller than last year. It's or a little over half, but more than, um, our offense averaged per game. Yeah. If we're talking about beers versus points. Yeah. So 37 beers. Um, how many different breweries did we try this season? Um, I'm going to say, including Sportsman Sips? Yeah. 22. Ooh, 24. Oh, okay. I was Very close. close. Do you want to guess how far, and now this doesn't count the international beers that we drank okay. for the Ireland, Ireland game. Yeah. Uh, but do you want to guess how far all of our local beers and our Sportsman Sip beers traveled to get to us collectively collectively oh, told you like these, yeah. these are fun stats <laughs> okay um i'm gonna say collective if we did how, how many beers do we do i know we just said 37 30 beers. beers each one individually each well each counted all brewery they calculated up right because you could uh, you could assume that from each brewery so 24 is really the number of breweries okay that we tried beers from so how far did that beer travel because these two beers from code traveled the same distance it's not like they both they didn't take two vehicles to get here. Okay. Well, I don't know if it was like counting them like, you know. No, 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 okay. No, no. Okay. I'm going to say we did oh, we did 1,600 miles. Oh, here we go. Okay. Oh, so boy. now you're guessing oh, the no. under. 3,585 no. miles of beer road traveled wow. to get to us. That's like across the U.S. I think that's like to the moon and back a few <laughs> times. <laughs> At least it felt like that. Okay. Oh man. Now That's here's insane. here is the the final stat I have for you to guess. What were our top four most consumed beer styles? Uh, I'm gonna say cream ale. Okay. Porter. Okay. Uh, IPA. 
Okay. And light lager. You got two out of the four. Ooh. And these were surprising for me this year. So okay. um, in the number four spot, uh-huh. there was actually a, a, a three-way tie for second place. Nice three-way. So, <laughs> so uh, Barley Wines. Oh, wow. I wonder who runs the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So those right. are my favorite beers. Barley wines are my favorite beer style, but All right. we had barley wines, That's good. That's uh, good. four barley wines on the show. Okay. IPAs, yeah. four. Okay. Porters, four. Nice. So there. there you go. Okay. That's one of your favorite styles. <laughs> yeah. I try and spread the wealth. That's fair enough. And then our number one most drank beer style on the show this season should tell you how the season went because they're heavy oh no stouts <laughs> barrel aged stouts baby oh wow had five of those this season Some heavy hitters yeah so those were the uh the the stats for the the season nice so let's reflect back on the beer that we had what were some of your uh your favorites some of your standouts some of the ones that surprised you like what's uh What's out there for nice. you? What's out there for our listeners? Well, who- so I did um, sort of a ranking system, um, but not really. Um, so I just had a, I had a lot, I had a lot of ones that I, yeah, that I too. earmarked as like just yeah, they they, they stood out to me. Um, and so just in, this is in order of of episode of how you know, how, how we went along. Um, but so hairball black lager from Big Hair was a big one. I thought that um, black lager is not a, a popular style, but it's it's so. It's such a cool style that blends the lager, obviously, with, like, the roast from the black malt. And so it's just a unique style. But um, Cosmic Eye does one called Gaze of the Basilisk, which I think is one of the best beers brewed in Nebraska. Okay. Um, I will say, too, that that Hairball, when we were at Lagerfest, Mm -hmm. murdered. That was, like, one of the most popular beers. It cleaned up. Yeah, Big Hair tapped out on that. Yes. Everyone's coming back for more. We helped tap them out on that. We did, yeah. Well, that's... That's Big Hair's fault. Yeah. They were like, let's go enjoy the festival. Do you guys mind running our booth? And we were like, yeah, we'll drink your yeah, beer. That's right. fine. Oh, man. But they're, yeah, so their hairball black lager, I thought, I think it goes shoulder to shoulder with with Gaze of the Basilisk, which is about the best compliment that I think I can give it. Um, Beam Scottish Export from 719. Uh, I'm probably going to not pronounce this right because I don't speak French, but the Robido Rendezvous, the Summer Ale from Flyover. Um, Skinny Legs IPA from White Elm. That's one that's pretty commonly found in like high V's and stuff around the state. If you want to pick up a can, I think that's a really great IPA. Um, Corgi's and the Queen IPA yeah. from Site One. Uh, that was really good. I, like I said, I got a lot. Uh, the the Honu Turtle Porter from Rock Hopper. Um, Half Life, uh, which is the barrel aged Imperial Stout from Barley and Barley Wine Blend from Jukes. And then some recent ones, the Tub Thumper Porter from 505, and then Rogers ESB from Code. I thought such an incredibly balanced, drinkable beer. Um, so those were all my ones that like that really jumped out to me. Um, the ones that surprised me were the ones that I, that I would normally go for that you brought to the table. Um, the dry side, the dry citrus cider from uh, Cerro Brewing Company was uh, really good. We went to Vallis this year and they opened their cider mill, so you can we you know. When we're there, we we tried their ciders, yeah, but, um, and they're good. I'm not gonna knock them, but this this citrus cider was like head and shoulders above. I mean, it's yeah, that, that one was special. I think one of the things that that people uh, might be surprised by when when they go to trying different craft ciders is the lack of sweetness and more of the flavor balance and the dryness, and yeah. it's more of a wine drinking experience than it is so much a, a, a cider kind of apple juice experience. And there's a yes. lot that exists out there. And Sorrow does a really nice job uh, of of sampling more of those dry ciders that 
uh, sh- that lend more of the flavor of the fruit themselves in, in a similar way that the wine does. So I'm glad that you enjoyed that experience. Yeah, very and much so. We've got some more ciders to try next season as well, and, and okay. we'll, we'll search nice. for those. Yeah. I know that Glacial Till has a dry cider that we'll, we'll probably give a try to uh, coming up soon. There's some cideries in like Scott's Bluff. Vala's is a part of the Nebraska mm-hmm. Craft Brewers Guild. So yeah. you know, there's always a possibility for us to uh, take a road trip to the pumpkin patch right. for an episode. Who knows? You know, record one around the bonfire. Right. That'd be great. They do. They do one that's a black currant cider ballas. That was really good. Oh, nice. Um, but I do. I like the. I do like. I like the dry, crispy, snappy type. I prefer to the sweetness, and the sweet, the sweet ones are the ones that I always came across, and so that's why I was always uh, put off by them. But anyway, um, the naked orange, the naked orange stinger fruit beer from Bootleg um, was another really good one. So. If you're going to put fruit in a beer, if it's citrus, I'll usually, I'll come around to it. Yeah. Um, but that was a good one. So my top beers, I have two. Okay. Um, And it, and it. Can I guess? Yeah, I think you know, because it's, I think, yeah, you can guess. Okay. Um, are yours. they from the same brewery? Yes, they are. Okay. Yeah. So it's Corn Coast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Corn Coast knocked they it blew, out of the park. They blew me away. Yeah. They really did. And I'm so glad that we um were able to feature them and we were able to get out there and get their beer and try them out. Um, again, they're only, what, a year and a half old now. Yeah. And, um, being a, you know, a nano brewery, they're not, they're not distributing or anything. Um, but they're, yeah, the, the, we did the true classic pale ale with hundred percent cascade hops, the devil dog Belgium, um, which was just an incredibly balanced, you know, almost sessionable Belgium style ale. Um, that, yeah, that one, that brewery blew my mind. Their yeah. beer blew my mind. And so, yeah, I just, I'm, and then again, there were so many good, so many good fucking beers. Sorry, Kathy, but there's so many good beers this year, this year that we got to try. And I'm yeah. very grateful that we got to try. Um, but those two, I think. And you didn't sound brewery, grateful when it was only 37 <laughs> beers, but when you look back on them, you look back and it's like, yeah, it's actually a lot. It's a it lot really of is. different beer from a lot of different places. And, we, and, and, and yeah, and we barely put a dent in what Nebraska has to offer. That's the craziest thing to me is that there's so much that we did last year that we didn't do this year. We, we still haven't tried or, or featured on the, the podcast yeah. that there's a lot to look forward to. So I got to say, I'm very excited because, uh, in our research and prepping for next year, which you know, we're already in the midst of is, is looking at what breweries are out there, what breweries are within driving distance, within a reasonable road trip. A lot more places are crowling. Uh, so they're able to can stuff. So the freshness hangs yeah. out for us so we can gather a lot of those and, and feature more of those that are even further outside this year. We, we focused a little bit more on the Omaha Lincoln area um, but we still were able to kind of get out and explore the rest of the state. And for that 3,500 miles, the state's only like 400, 500, 600 miles wide. Yeah. So to be able to, to go back and forth through that quite a bit kind of surprised me. Um, you hit on a lot of my favorites as well. Um, the Robodeau, uh Rendezvous Edition Summer Ale from Flyover was a big one, but also their, their barrel-aged Blackfoot barley wine. You know, there it is, that barley wine yeah. creeping in. Um, <laughs> you introduced me to White Elm with skinny legs, and that one – was a hit. They also had the Stone the Crow two year barrel aged oh, yeah. barley wine. Yep. <laughs> I'm sensing so, a theme. So uh, pretty much if it was a barley wine, I was a big <laughs> fan of it. Um, you hit it with Site One again as well with the Corgis and the Queen was another one of my personal favorites. I think that is up there. Uh, you know, you mentioned that the Black Lager is you know on par with one of the best Black Lagers made in the state. I think that Corgis and the Queen is one of the best IPAs I've had from the state, and I've recommended that one to to folks both personally and online. Um, Jukes always knocks it out of the park. Whatever we have from Jukes, you know, they're, they're close, they're good friends, uh, and, and they're great brewers. So we had their double abyssal mouth. We had mm-hmm. the half-life anniversary. Those were just killer. You also brought a great one that I've never had before, which was the, uh, the two hearted ale American IPA from Bell's. Oh yeah. Uh, that was my yeah. favorite sportsman sip that we had this season. Uh, it was a great beer. 
that's that's a beer, and, and I hope this doesn't sound like an insult to beer drinkers, but that's a beer that I would use in a cocktail as well for a beer because I think that it's a really balanced flavor, but those hop notes come through. Um, you know, we've, we've shared some beer cocktails with each other, and that's one where I think that you could really balance some really, like, fun fruit notes and then have yeah. that beer come through and just complement that so well, but it also drinks incredibly well on its own. So not only is it a good beer, it's a good ingredient, yeah. which is like a weird compliment to pay. But, but when you explore, you, you think about like, yeah, you think about like a barrel aged beer, it's, it's the beer is still the featured event, but it's, it's almost becomes an ingredient because you're introducing all these other elements and you need yeah. a good quality beer to stand up to that. So, um, and then yeah, corn coast 505 and code, man, we, we ended on a one hell of we, a run. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. I thought maybe it was recency bias, you know, but. Um, we just, yeah, yeah, we strung together some really great breweries. Beer right? is beer and beer is good. And Nebraska brews some great beer. We yeah. just, we also got really lucky that I think some new favorites were found, uh, near the back end of the season. And I think that's yeah. one hell of a way to, to end the year, right. Is yeah. to end it on a high note and get excited again to go out and search and revisit some of these places, find new places, maybe hopefully sit down with some of these brewers and, and get them on the podcast mm-hmm. and just hear their story firsthand and how they go about making beer and Nebraska community and like, the nice thing about this off season is not only are we going to have, you know, like this, this uh, sense of renewed hope for the football team, but we're getting further away from a pandemic where people's doors are more welcome and bars are starting to get busier and yeah. um, new breweries like heavy are opening up around the state yeah. or salt mine city and uh, David city mm-hmm. are opening up. So there's new, new possibility lumen in downtown Omaha, like so much fun stuff is going to be going on where we've got a lot of work ahead of us yeah, uh, to prep for the next season so that we can, bring some of these new guys to the table and some of these long-standing breweries. Yeah. Very excited about that for sure. So as we, as we put a pin on, on this season, do you have any takeaways from the, the football season that was anything that you want to touch on? Or are you feeling like, man, let's just, well, yeah. Like I said, I think, I think Friday we, we closed the book. We, that, yeah. that's it. Um, it, there's going to be obviously a lot of stuff to discuss and, um, you know, a lot of stuff to consume in terms of Nebraska football with uh, with Matt Rule and the team that he brings in, um, you know, and just and it'll be all eyes forward, I think, at this point. And so um, I think I think Matt Rule is going to be a guy that uh, that the fan base can really rally around. I think that Trev did a good job uh, bringing in a just making the right hire, yeah. you know, for the right time. Um, you know, looking back on this season, man, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to look back on it because, again, I think I have recency bias right now. I think I had such a great experience at the Iowa game. Um, you know, it was some. It felt like somewhat of a send off, maybe for, for you know, obviously for some of the, the seniors, um, potentially for a lot of these coaches. And so, um, but it was it was a nice way to end what I think was not always the most easy season to get through oh absolutely so if um, if you would have told me at the at the start of the season that three games in our head coach is going to be fired and we're going to have nine games with an interim head coach I would have said well how many wins did we have before Scott Frost was fired because that's it right like this team's already being held together by needle and thread and yet we've got someone in Mickey with the staff that he put together with the difficult choices he made like letting go of Chenander and Mm -hmm you know, promoting Bill Bush to interim, all of those things going on. And this team just continued to rally. And that's going to be my big takeaway is that there's, there's a Husker spirit. There's a fighting spirit that as long as this fan base continues to turn out its support and and gives this team a reason to keep fighting, you know, that's what we can do. 
You yeah. can continue to support the players, celebrate the players, be grateful for these coaches putting it in, uh, putting all that work into this this team and, and putting their lives on hold for 12 weeks in the fall to give us this enjoyment and this this thing to celebrate. And even if it's four wins, to be able to culminate it with the win against Iowa and to understand that it means just as much to the fans as it does to the players and the coaches probably means more to them, to be honest, because it's not my body being put on the line except for my bruised knees and my bad shoulder <laughs> from, from all that and our start you know, voices, what have you. Gave but, up my voice because I don't know how to yell appropriately. You got to uh, breathe from the diaphragm. Is that it? You got to yeah. let it out from Expand there. Uh, more open. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're going, oh boy, Billy. <laughs> doesn't have the same ring to it. Oh yeah. boy, Billy. Let's fucking go. Let's fucking go. <laughs> and then to have Bill Bush. That's fucking black shirts, baby. That's fucking black shirts. <laughs> but oh, I, I'm just, I'm just so ever grateful for for what this season really showed us was, was that like there is this undeniable spirit with Nebraska football and you can beat us down and, and you know, we can just be pulled through the mud. Um, but when you bring in kids who are here to play for the right reasons and you get a leader who says, you know, you're playing for the university, not yourself, not for me. And everyone gets moving in the right direction, which is what sounds like what attracted Matt rule yeah. to Nebraska is that forward pull by, the chancellor, the president, the AD, and now himself. If everyone's moving in the same direction, we're never going to have to worry about the player's commitment. We're never going to have to worry about their enthusiasm, and we're never going to see them quit the way that we saw the team in black and gold quit on Friday. Yeah, And I can hang my hat on that, and I can feel pretty damn good about that moving forward. I like that. Um, we talked about when Frost was going through his struggles or whatever, maybe even after he got fired, I don't remember separating him the player as in the coach looking yeah. back yeah being appreciative of what he did as a player while recognizing that he was not a good coach here um and i think that's going to be kind of it with mickey too there's gonna be something similar we can look back and be um incredibly grateful for what he did um you know as as the interim coach and what he what he provided and it wasn't <clears throat> excuse me it wasn't a bowl game or anything like that but he really he kept everything together. Yeah, he still made me look forward to Saturday. On uh, every every every, every week, time. there was still a fighting chance yeah. because every week it was like, is this the week that these guys are going to give up? And the answer was never. Well, yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't know if I ever even asked myself like, is this the week they give up? Like it was, I I was, it was always more hopeful than that. It wasn't, oh. yeah. Well, I that was my question, and that's no, yeah, that's, that that's was, a valid question. I'm not, yeah, that's a valid question. Um, there were you know, and, and like going in the Michigan game, I was like, I'm. You know, it wasn't like oh, I can't wait to see if we pull it off. Um, but it, but yeah, he did. He provided more than a, more than a spark. It was yeah, it was just it was something that like you could really look forward to week in and week out. And so, um, and I imagine that what he did for the players was just infinitely more. Oh yeah. Um, and for the coaches that he that coaching staff that he kept together, um, again infinitely more. So if if I would have told you in week three that this program is going to be better. By the end of the season, after after Frost gets fired, this program is going to be in a better, more hopeful spot, even before the coach hiring, the coach announcement, all that stuff. Would you believe me? Would you have been like, I, yeah, I buy it. it with, with Frost being fired? With Frost being fired. If I said, if said okay, so Frost, Frost is, gets fired. And we get four wins out of the season and we're in a better spot, I would say no. Like I would At that point, like if at the beginning of the season, if that was it, um, no. Yeah, because yeah. no. Cause, and yeah. Some of that was because I was delusional. You know, a little bit with the, with just the off season hype um, and hope, but um, but no, you like 
you still expect some incremental growth and you yeah. expect that growth to be showcased in the win column. Yeah. Um, and we didn't see that, but it was again, another year where you can look, look back on the record and say like, it, it's not necessarily indicative of what actually happened yeah. or, or how you'll remember the season. You know, and I really appreciate too, like when you look at Husker fans and you look at like the, the conversations on social media and you hear the, the coaches talk, nobody ever said, well, give us a break. Look at our situation. Everyone said like, this is the hand we're dealt. And you know what? We're either going to bluff or we're going to go all in. But either way, we're winning this hand. And I feel like they went in with that attitude week in and week out. And, you know, poor, boo on me as, as a fan for just assuming that there might be a, a moment to give up. Um, but it, it just, you kind of expected it with the kind of leadership that was in place beforehand. And, and then you get a guy like Mickey who, you know, everyone's going to be talking about. And, and we might know by the time this comes out on Tuesday, we're recording on a Sunday, that, that Mickey is, is with the program moving forward in the 2023 season or he's not. But he's earned the right to take whatever job is best for him, yeah. whatever is right for him. And we owe that as as the Nebraska fan base, as our thank you to, if you want to hang around here, buddy, my arms can't be open wide enough. Mm-hmm. But if you need to go somewhere else and, and you know, be a head coach, which you clearly are cut out for, yeah. or you want to be, uh, you know, uh, a wide receivers coach elsewhere, or, or whatever it happens to be, I'm also fully in your corner. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be the first one to say thank you. And to always hold him in such a high regard because, I mean, I don't have the Friday I had. I don't have the memory I had that I'm going to hang on to for the rest of my life without Mickey Joseph at the helm. And for that, I'm like yeah. eternally grateful that, and okay, fine, whatever. It's it's a football game, but you're listening to a football podcast. So, <laughs> you know, who are you to judge? <laughs> we started a podcast about this shit. Like, we obviously care about it. Yeah. So you don't have to apologize for that. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, that's who. I mean, that's that's it. I, the only I will I will cheer for him no matter what is just don't go to fucking Wisconsin or Iowa. Well, from the sounds of it, I don't know <laughs> if Wisconsin's going to be in high favor. They're, well, they're, uh, yeah, they're not. He's not. He wouldn't head coach there. But um, yeah, well, I mean, if it, can you imagine what would be more wasted, Mickey Joseph being a receivers coach at Wisconsin or Mickey <laughs> Joseph being a receivers coach at Iowa? Like, what would be the 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 two most wasted places he could go. Yeah, yeah. Army, right. <laughs> <laughs> fucking MLS. I don't know, like a completely different football. Just a different sport altogether. Just a different sport. Um, yeah. Well, how about this? How about we raise a glass? We give a cheers to this year, to Mickey Joseph, and uh, and to the future and the past and the present and fuck, just all of it, man. Beautiful. Go big red. Go big red. Well, that does it for the 2022 football season. We will return in 2023 for a full season under the Herd at Sports banner. Make sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the latest show information. We will be releasing monthly episodes after the new year featuring interviews with local breweries, Husker Insiders, spring game reactions, and more. All of which will lead into our 2023 Nebraska football season. Previews kicking off late in summer of 23. We want to thank everyone who tuned in to this season and who put up with this voice uh, for (laughs) this episode in particular. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. That does nothing except prove that we record these every friggin' episode. <laughs> yes. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to tell us where to drink next, and we will go. We will be there. Thank you for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red, baby! Drink Big Red, baby!